to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. Gospel of Luke. So, well, the last time we came together, it's very important because I see some overtones of, I mean, Jesus was consistent when he walked the earth. He was very focused on making sure people understood who God is, how to have a relationship with God, and certainly his desire was to see everyone go to heaven, right? So the last time we were here and we went through the sermon in Luke 5, it, it, it was titled, Which is Greater in Eternity? And it's amazing, they bring Jesus, a man who's paralyzed, and he does heal the man, uh, but he, he does change the conversation to really prioritize the first thing he says to the man is, your sins are forgiven, and everybody's like, what? Man, it was early in his ministry. The whole fully God, fully man thing was not fully realized. So, um, but Jesus was trying to impress, as he did back then, as we read the Bible today, that God wants everybody to be in, in heaven with him. And that's why Jesus came to die for our sins. And today the message is titled, uh, From Stale Religion to a Fresh Filling, Indicative of a Fresh Filling of the Holy Spirit. And I do have to qualify the title, because some people might say, wow, that's a little unsettling the way you brought that up. Now, as a young man coming from a broken home, um, I equated God with religion. I didn't have great experiences with religion, so I walked away. I didn't pursue God for much of my young years um, until I learned the truth of who God is. And the interesting thing is we would be making a mistake if we said everything of religion has God in it. That's not a true statement. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 23, we see a whole chapter devoted to Jesus' excoriation of the corrupt religious system at the time. So what are we looking at here? Well, let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to God giving his Ten Commandments. Let's go back to God delivering his people out of Egypt. Let's go back to the sacrificial system so that it was a precursor of having our sins forgiven. What did God do? He used mnemonic devices, right? He would pair, behaviorally, he would pair his events and the things that he wanted to get across for us to memorize and understand and, and eat in a spiritual sense with positive things. So what would happen? The people would have, I'm going to say the, the old version of the block party, right? They'd have these block parties, communities, families. They would make pilgrimages to Jerusalem. There was fun. There was food. There was excitement. There was people. So what God always did is he would always pair positive things to, to understanding him, his precepts, his laws, and all those kind of things. But what happened over time? And by the first century, Jesus experienced this, right? His fully God, fully man coming down. And, uh, you know, they're trying to tell him what to do when he was the one in eternity who authored this stuff. Imagine the hubris of that. So what happens is over the millennia and over the uh, centuries is that men and women get involved in religion. And sometimes, you know, money's involved and power's involved and it gets corrupted. And again, that was my negative experience as a young man, right? So what, what did Jesus do to change that? How did he do a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit? Well, we're going to see that in Matthew 
chapter 5 at the remainder, but we're also going to look at this in three parts. I know I said a lot. One very, very important caveat to all this. This is extremely, extremely important. We see the Apostle Paul speak about Satan masquerading himself as an angel of light. Satan is not going to come with a pitchfork and scary looking with horns. He's going to come, you know, with a soothing voice, with charismania. We see that in the future Antichrist to come when we read that in the book of Revelation. So what happens is, Paul says that he comes as an angel of light and his ministers, ministers of righteousness. Now, Satan likes to counterfeit, unfortunately, and he's very good at what he does. So he sees what God does, and then he does a counterfeit, and you see these ministries today, right? Um, and they're, they're not genuine. There's uh, sexual impropriety, there's financial impropriety, there's criminal behavior, and a lot of it is there's false teaching in it, but they say this is a fresh work of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us to test all the spirits to see if they are from God. You know, I've been doing a lot of research on this. This has been coming up a lot in the last year, and there's uh, some solid articles. It's the mainstream media last month, two months before, and you see some of these ministries that they're more sensual than they are spiritual. If we don't know the Word of God, we're going to think it's from God because there's a sensual, there's a feeling involved. And if you look it up, if you'd like to, some organizations like Hillsong, Bethel Church, the New Apostolic Reformation, they use worship to get people into this feeling mode and they mistake their sensuality for spirituality. The only inoculation to that is to know the Word of God. If we don't know the Word of God, we will follow these groups. Okay, so let's check this out and see what Jesus has to say. Let's see what looks, what is actually genuine, starting with verse 12. Now, I'm going to, I guess if I was a politician, I'd say gerrymander, but I'm going to say we're going to salamander through chapter 5 because it's such a large chapter that I took the healing of the paralytic. I pulled that out, taught a whole sermon on that the catch of fish. So we're going to go with what's left and then couple that with uh, chapter 6 and you're going to see a theme here of this fresh work that God is doing. So verse 12 it says, And it happened when he was in a certain city that behold, a man was full of leprosy saw Jesus. And he fell on his face and implored him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then he, Jesus, put out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one. But go and show yourself to the priest, and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. Then the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So one out of three is a leper is healed. We see this in Matthew chapter 8. We see this in Mark chapter 1. Now, this is important because leprosy today is known as Hansen's disease based on the scientist who discovered, isolated it, went to find a cure for it. There are various forms of leprosy still available or still around in the world, and certain environments are conducive to it growing and spreading. Uh, It's caused by a mycobacterium, 
And again, different forms have different mycobacteria that affect the victim or the person. Uh, this is actually treatable today with a triple antibiotic. But this is, in, this is important. This is fascinating stuff. Is that if the thing has ravaged you, 75% of your body, well, the triple antibiotic treatment can help to stop it to go any further. But unfortunately, the damage to your organs and your extremities may already be done. So that can't be reversed short of a miracle. Now, again, they didn't have this information back then. So whenever a leper uh, saw Jesus, they heard of his reputation. They came to him and Jesus healed everyone that came to him. Uh, This disease can start with a small spot, damage the skin, the nerves, the immune system, slowly destroying the body. Due to its destructive nature, leprosy has been figuratively used as a picture of sin because sin destroys the the spirit and it destroys the psyche if left untreated, right, Um, for a long time. Isaiah 1, 4 through 6 talks about this parallel. Now, Under the Jewish law, lepers had to isolate themselves from the uninfected. So what did the leper see in Jesus? Because technically the leper was breaking the law, right? Under Jewish law, well, they didn't want everybody to get it, so they had to be separated. Now, this is fascinating too, and I'm just doing all this research, is that um, in Leviticus 13 and 14, and it's funny, when, when COVID came around, I was making sure everybody understood Uh, what does the Bible say about contagion? What did the Bible say, and I'm going to say 3,000 years, a little shy, prior to the electron microscope being invented so we can see the pathogens a lot clearly? God, through his word, in these ancient texts, told the people about covering the nose and the mouth, right? About keeping a distance from the uninfected. Um, to isolate the infected, it's important, the infected. Uh, So what we know is that you can prove the existence of God through science. There's no way anybody could have known this 3,000 years ago. But as long as the people followed the uh, prescription in God's word, they would keep the community healthy. Here's another side note. In uh, In Europe, the bubonic plague, the Jewish people who studied and memorized the Old Testament who studied the Bible, did very well while the Europeans were suffering. Why? It's actually reverse of what you heard in universities and things to that nature, is that that, uh, the Europeans, unfortunately, were prohibited from reading the Bible on their own. That was up to the church. So because they didn't have that knowledge, a lot of the Europeans got far sicker disproportionately than the Jewish people who were able to read the Bible. little interesting history there. So knowledge is power, and it certainly enlightens us. Um, Here's the problem, and you can see this in some of the writings, you know, in ancient times, is that some of the religious systems saw leprosy as a judgment on someone who deserved it. Now, that's not true. And Jesus didn't treat the people like that. But see, remember my opening? This is the problem with religion sometimes. Um, Not all of it's bad, but when it goes far away from God and his word, it it becomes bad. So it was almost like a a Stockholm Syndrome, blame the victim mentality. Oh, that person has leprosy, they're a lost cause. Sort of like that attitude. However, the lepers were willing to break the law 
to come to Jesus to be healed. They were so desperate. And Jesus showed them mercy because caring for people, and we see this and we'll go further in the scripture, when two laws come into conflict, to care and to save life in, in conflict of laws, right? Bernoulli's principle and gravity was far greater than just saying, well, you didn't follow that, so I can't help you. Right? Jesus, as a, a loving and compassionate God, attracted many lepers. And you know, do we have that attitude, right? Because we're going to run into people in the world that, and it happens. I mean, literally God, people I know, he'll put somebody in your life and maybe they start telling you their story and maybe they tell you how they've messed up their lives or they think they've ruined their lives. You know, what is our attitude? Is it, well, this, this could be, people are messy, folks. Listen, when I came to Christ, before I came to Christ, and even the first few years after coming to Christ, I was messy too. But thankfully, there were some people in the church that I went to that were compassionate enough to walk me through some of these issues. So we can never go wrong, right, when we follow Christ's example. Jesus didn't do all these things for us to read it and just have all this head knowledge. He has this here so that we actually do it and that we have a positive influence on society. Verse 12, the leper said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. What a great attitude. Remember I talked about false teaching in my opening. Uh, there is a teaching out there that basically says, it's almost, it almost makes God a genie in the bottle. Just keep harassing him. Just keep bugging him. Tell him what you want. And God has to do it for you. That's actually not scriptural. <laughs> What's scriptural is he's God. And we have to understand who we are as we submit to him and, and we come to him, right, as a loving father, but not disrespectfully. So the leper implored or begged Jesus. He's in a desperate condition. And I'm going to tell you that sometimes it takes a tragedy to bring somebody to the foot of the cross, right? And we can look at things and say, oh, what a horrible situation. And, and some people say, where's God? But it's quite possible that if the world, and I'll give myself an example, if my life was perfect, if I was rich, if I was in perfect health, if I never needed anything, maybe I never would have come to Christ. Think about that. What's more important in eternity? The last sermon. What did Jesus tell us? Physical problems come and go on this world. What's most important is where we spend eternity. Where's George Washington? Don't say here. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know his heart. Where's Nero, Caesar? Where's uh, Napoleon? Where are all these famous people? Well, I'm going to tell you something. Where they are now, they've been there for a long time. So what's most important is that people get to heaven. Because that's what God wants. And that's why he sent his son. So he's, he's in a desperate situation, and Jesus has a profound effect on him, certainly healing him. Jesus responds, I am willing, right? Jesus also wants to work out things in our life as well. I just had somebody who's been a new believer for several months come to me out of the blue. He goes, my life is great. He goes, my life is getting better. Um, and again, to my knowledge, he hasn't won the lottery. Uh, he's not in perfect health, right? When you look at the metrics, the way the world looks at how great your life is, the happiness trap, right? He's telling me that the more he walks with the Lord, 
although things aren't perfect, his, he can see and he can experience that his life is changing for the better. Amen? That's pretty neat. You know what? Sometimes God gives us, and, and I don't know why churches do this, they're afraid to talk about the emotional or the psychological makeup of people. You know, when, when God is in your life and things start to change, even in little ways, you are well emotionally, right? When, and again, I'll speak for myself. When I went from dysfunction to function, well, my emotional uh, makeup changed because, again, my, I'll tell you something, 2022, my life's not perfect, but I definitely wouldn't go back to the old days. I'll tell you that, the days without Christ. There's nothing there for me. So it, it's pretty neat stuff. Jesus, again, technically, you, you wouldn't want to have this, uh, some, a well person, an uninfected person, wouldn't want to have this contact with a leper. But remember, he's God the Son. So the bacteria are not transferred to Christ. He has power over them. When he touches him, you know, I just, I love the anatomy and physiology. I love all the medical stuff. You know, now I, I think too much and I just have to say to myself, all right, stop. That's not the point of the scripture. You know, when Jesus touched them, did all the bacteria wither? I, I don't know. Okay. But I'm probably the only person who thinks stuff like that. And it's okay. I'm a little weird sometimes. Uh, but the bottom line is, bottom line is the dude is healed. Okay. <laughs> That's really all that matters. So Jesus's influence of healing the leper doesn't affect him for infection and contagion. Jesus' influence goes this way with the healing, so the man is, he's clean. This stuff is out of his body now, and no doubt he was made whole. And you know what? Again, let's look at what the Scripture says. Let's look at the parallels in our lives, right? Because, because I think about spiritual influence. On any given moment, um, spiritual influence goes in one direction or the other. It's never static. It's always dynamic. Whether we're in the church or we're in the, the shopping for food or we're on the highway and someone's annoying you, um, you are either at that moment of time being negatively influenced by the world or you are positively influencing the world for Christ. When I leave here, I, I have a, an afternoon wedding. And I can say nine times out of ten, when I'm done with the wedding, you know, I share the scripture. I talk about what, what does marriage look like according to the scripture. People come up to me, I mean, from all walks of life. And they say, wow, that was really just, I never met this person before. They were refreshed. So I love to do a wedding because, you know, I'm trying to influence the people positively to show what God's ideals are, right? And don't get me wrong. Sometimes when I'm on the highway, I am sometimes negatively influenced by the world. But if I'm honest with myself, I don't drive perfect either. So <laughs> we always got to keep ourselves in check, right? I had to say that. Uh, verse 14, Jesus heals the man and he says to the leper, he pretty much tells him, he charges him not to tell anybody. And I have to laugh at that. The guy just was healed from leprosy. He doesn't have to be in a leper colony. He can burn his clothes. He can Probably his skin looked like it was a baby skin, right? Um, people are going to ask, is that you, Bill? <laughs> wow, you look great. Did you have a makeover? <laughs> no, I had an experience with Jesus Christ. So, um, But, of course, you know, and so, so people ask me, and, and again, I'll throw a stab, I'll take some conjecture at this. Um, why did Jesus tell a lot of people, after he does a wonderful thing, don't, don't say anything? Well, early on in Jesus' ministry, 
you have to remember there were prophecies about the Messiah, three main prophecies that said that pretty much at this point, nobody can, and people do it today, oh, I'm the Messiah. You're about 2,000 years too late. You know, so the prophecies in the Old Testament told the people when the Messiah was going to come. And that time, that window of time has come and gone. So Jesus knew even the triumphal entry, which we'll get to, you know, now he presents himself as the Messiah. There literally was a timetable, according to Daniel 9, that that day was going to take place. And Jesus is like, and he would say, it's not my time yet. He knew as God, you know, he was there part of telling Daniel how to say, right, in eternity, eternity past, to, to write that, that prophecy down, and he fulfilled it. So it wasn't his time yet. Uh, show yourself to the priest. The full new covenant, according to Jeremiah 31, hadn't fully come in yet. So Jesus was honoring the law and the system that was in place until he died on the cross and rose again. So according to Leviticus 14, go show yourself to the priest. What a witness that would be to the priest, too. Because the priest would constantly see these people, and eh, he's not getting any better. Here's a guy, or Jesus comes around, all of a sudden, these guys come to the priest, and he's like, your arms? Let me see, take your shirt off, let me see your back, your neck, your, fa- your hair. Wow, you're totally clean. Who did this? Jesus of Nazareth. Um, so pretty neat stuff. Verse 15. It tells us that multitudes came to hear him and to be healed. Now, I'm going to put this into two categories, hearing and healing, hearing and healing. Let's go with the healing, right? The healing is the physical thing. Listen, if Jesus was walking the earth today and we had to go see the surgeon next week, we'd probably do everything we could to go see him to, you know, not have to go to the surgeon. But, you know, when you look at healing, you're also looking at what else did Jesus do? He fed people. He ministered to them. He did a lot of things for people. However, the hearing part was extremely important because Jesus was constantly telling people about how to get into God's kingdom constantly. However, there were two groups. Actually, there were three groups. There were those that just wanted the physical things. And we see that today, don't we? Maybe somebody says, all right, I'll try Jesus. You know, I got this problem in my life and I need money or this or that. And you know, God could work things out in your life, but we should be coming to God because of a relationship, because we want to know him right? Otherwise, we're part of that group that just wants the tangible. So you've got the ones that are looking for the spiritual remedy, the tangible remedy, and then you also have a group that go for the spiritual, but also get relief from some of the tangible. Pretty neat stuff there. So hearing and healing. Matthew 8 adds, and he, Matthew 8 adds a little nuance here, is that the leper worshipped Jesus. That's important because you can read that quickly. There's some people today, again, it's false. there's false teachings everywhere. Uh, that Jesus wasn't God, he was just a man. That's problematic because Jesus accepted worship multiple times. When we went through the book of Revelation, right, the apostle John is taken up and the angel's sort of given him a tour of, of heaven and all these things. Um, that's my paraphrase. And John is so overwhelmed, he falls down at the ground at the foot of the angel and the angel like lickety split says, get up, only worship God. So the, the righteous angels wouldn't even accept, today they won't accept worship. Only the, the demonic, the fallen ones will. So for Jesus to accept worship and to equate himself with God, last time we taught, I went over four points of his deity, the things that he did that people can't do and angels can't do that prove that he's God. So that's a, 
You could miss that if you're reading Matthew's gospel, but he put it in there for a reason. And here's the freshness, right? We're talking about the fresh filling is that, is that Jesus changed people's lives. And again, there's a lot of good programs out there. There's a lot of good, uh, what do they call them? Uh, life coaches and people do all kinds of stuff. And they're secular and, and they do a good job. They do a decent job, right? However, what's more important is what's going to carry you into eternity. So Jesus was always there, ministering to people spiritually, emotionally. That's big today. And also physically. And unfortunately, the stale religious system was was uncompassionate and unhelpful. Verse 27, last few verses, and then we're actually done with chapter 5, because I taught this stuff in between. After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said, follow me. And he left all, he rose up and followed him, followed Jesus. Then Levi gave him, Jesus, a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. Well, that's interesting. But their scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, murmured. They grumbled. They gossiped against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? People could ask us that today. Why do you hang out with those people or those people? Because Jesus called all people. And I've got to tell you, before I was saved, I wasn't perfect. I'm glad somebody didn't look at me as one of those people and, and ignored me, right? So who, who are we supposed to minister to? Everybody. There's nobody who's outside the possibility of getting into the kingdom. And that's important. And I love what the work that missionaries do overseas. It's incredible, incredible work. And Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well do not need a physician, but those who are sick. Think about this in a spiritual sense. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So this is cool. Two out of three, Levi is called. Levi is called. And this is where people say, wait a minute, man, the names in the Bible are confusing me. He's called Levi here. He's called Matthew there. We're going to get to that. It's pretty neat. We're going to talk about his name, his name change, and his profession. So, you know, from from Matthew's gospel, right, um, he tells us about himself, and he tells us originally when Christ met him, he was Levi, the son of Alphaeus. Now, God often changes names in the Bible. We look at Abram, we look at uh, Sarai, we look at Simon, we look at Levi and many others. When God changes our name, it's a name that he wants to refer to us by, and it's often a change of character. So the, the name Matthew means the gift of God. That's pretty impressive if you think about it, because... Here's a, a guy who's a tax collector. Is he a corrupt tax collector? Does he take a little bit here and there? Um, I don't know. We don't get the details of it. But he's certainly not in a, prof a profession where people are pleased with what they did. And then God calls him and gives him the name Matthew or gift of God. I really want to say this to even for somebody watching on the live stream or here today. You've come into this place and you might... Maybe somebody bribed you and said, if you come to church, I'll buy you lunch <laughs> or I'll buy you dinner and food prices are expensive. So you came to church and you're thinking to yourself, I'll go, but I don't know. Do I belong here? Will I fit in? Will, they, will I be accepted? Did you know the first time I drove to a church, my friend told me, I'll meet you there. 
And I, did, I couldn't find them. And it was a big church. I drove in. I saw all these people. They kind of looked happy. They were going to church. And I said, you know what? I don't belong here. I drove home. I never walked in the building. Then I called up my friend, and I'm like, hey, dude, where were you? Oh, I, I, said, I said, you know, let's try that again. You know? you know, It's funny. I was a police officer, and I was afraid to walk in the church. What does that tell you, right? And this is the, 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 the mystery of people who are not sure about walking into a church. It's actually anxiety-producing. It can be terrifying. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm seated. Nobody did anything to me. They didn't give me weird looks. Okay, maybe I'll listen to the rest of it. But, you know, I like, that's just me. You know, I'm not the best Bible teacher, but I like to pull out the flavor of the Bible. And, you know, you just have to love that, how God accepts all of us. But do we accept him? That's the key question. God so loved the world. That's everybody. That's any point in time. That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's the beauty of the gospel. So Matthew had a name change. He became the dreaded tax collector to gift of God. So tell me why you don't think that you'd be accepted by God. I'm going to argue with you, of course. The book of Revelation tells us twice that in the kingdom we'll have a new name. So that's good for those of you who don't like the name your parents gave you. When you get into the kingdom, you're going to love your name. You're going to feel really good about it, and it's going to be something special between you and the Lord. This brings us to Matthew's profession. So, it doesn't mean that every tax collector was corrupt. However, they did did have unscrupulous ways, and they had the backing of the Roman government. Matthew's story is perplexing, because he appears to start out as a Jewish boy, Levi, right, the Levites. So his parents, you know, you can do some fair extrapolation when you look at all the all the, uh, the scripture, the parallel gospels. Uh, so he starts out as a Jewish boy. He, no doubt, because observant Jews knew that the Messiah was coming in the first century. So he would have known the Old Testament. He probably would have been fluent in Hebrew. And somewhere in his life, 17, 18, 20, I don't know, he sells out his own people to work for Rome. Then something strange happens. He follows Jesus and writes one of the four Gospels to prove to his fellow Jews, which he had formerly sold out, that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. That's pretty wild, isn't it? So my conjecture is that Levi at some point becomes disillusioned. He becomes disillusioned with life, disillusioned with the corrupt religious system, and Jesus is refreshing. Now, it's my conjecture, my speculation Did Jesus purposely, when he preached, preach the earshot of Matthew's tax collecting booth? Could you see Matthew in the booth collecting taxes and with his right ear he's listening to some of Jesus' teaching and, no, 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 it's it's this many drachmas, you know. so, So Jesus knew what he was doing, right? And even somebody who comes to church or maybe hears a preacher or maybe a Christian friend and they just start sharing some biblical precepts, part of them is drawn towards that. Part of them is drawn towards that. So maybe Matthew lost his way. Maybe he became desperate. Maybe Matthew said, and these are all maybes because I don't know. Maybe he said, I got to eat. I got to support myself. So he joined Rome. How many people do we hear say that today? Well, what's God going to do? He's going to pay my bills. You'd be surprised when you walk with the Lord to see what the Lord may do. You'd be surprised. Um, 
And people have that today. It's hard. Inflation is high. Gas prices are crazy. Home prices are inflated. Um, you know? And people have conflicting emotions. Maybe somebody in this room has conflicting emotions. Maybe part of you said, well, I'm just going to go because so-and-so wants me to, but maybe somewhere subconsciously you're not opening up your heart. Maybe the more you listen and realize, wow, this is for me. Could God be that good? Could this have been a divine appointment that I came here and I heard this today? I love it. One of the worst people in society were tax collectors, not to be outdone by corrupt religious people. And both of the, in both of those groups, they changed. They came to Christ. It's an amazing thing. Jesus knew that Matthew was ripe. And when he said, follow me, he got up and he left everything. Because if you don't do the research and you don't go through the different gospels and you don't read it from cover to cover, you think, why would he get up and leave a lucrative career to follow Christ? But then when you start putting the pieces together, you realize he realized that this world is not where it's at. And my question to anyone here is, run to him. If you're considering it this morning, run to him. Verse 28 says, Matthew left all. What are we willing to leave in exchange for following Christ? Now, this is very important because I have to kind of put these caveats out here, is it doesn't mean that everyone has to leave their job when they become saved. That's not what it's saying here. Matthew had his reasons. Maybe he grudgingly signed up for this position because he felt he had nowhere to go. I meet people all the time that they, they feel trapped. That they use the word, I feel trapped. I don't, I don't have any other solution. I don't know what else to do. And I'm like, well, let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> so um, you don't have to live in that fear and anxiety all the time. We serve a good and merciful God. But Matthew had his reasons. He had his convicted reasons. Now, I love this, is that Matthew has a feast for Jesus. And the catch is, I'm, Jesus, I'm sure, knew this. He shows up and there's all these tax collectors there. There's all these sinners. There's all these, maybe people, maybe Matthew was like, he, didn't, he couldn't really express this thing with Jesus, but he said, you guys got to come. It'll be free food. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I have to laugh because, well, first of all, we're all sinners right? That's clear. Is that many years ago when I became a Christian, I was also a police officer. And in that type of profession, you, you have a camaraderie. You sometimes save each other's lives. And I remember reading this and I said to my wife, we, we have to throw a big barbecue and have all the officers over. And I called up my pastor. I said, listen, I'm too green with this. I don't know. I don't have any answers. I don't know much to say. My, Pastor Lloyd from Calvary Old Bridge, he's, he's, it's just a different relationship now. It's really cool. We're peers, but he would, he would be game for anything, and I, I think he still would. So I told him what I was planning, and he came. And he was, he was great how he was mingling with them and talking with them, and a lot of them were listening. And all you got to do is get a bunch of cops together and say, free food? If it's for free, it's for me. So, so it worked out really well. Um, and I started to grow in my beliefs, and it, it, things started to change on the department. It was really cool. 
But uh, the expression goes, and it's, it's, a, it's a loose truth. Um, I've heard it said that nobody wants to go to heaven alone. Listen, if we went to heaven alone, we'd be thrilled. But the expression means that when we know that we're saved and we know that God has accepted us and we know we're going to heaven because that's what he promised, we want everyone we know to come with us. So that's what Matthew does. Throws a big party. I got this. Just come. Whatever you want on the menu, it's going to be there. And Jesus is there and, and he's ministering to these people. When we get saved, we want the light to shine into all the dark places of our lives. And it doesn't mean that our friends and family or coworkers are evil, but what it means is that we want, if, if we have a spiritual house, every closet, every nook and cranny, every crawl space in the house of our lives, you want that light to shine. You know, um, I meet people who are strangers. I, and I, I immediately have this in my mind. I wonder if they know Christ. And I always try to like start these conversations, but um, I don't want to see, I want to see everybody go to heaven, right? So the religious leaders, again, um, instead of being happy about this and saying, well, maybe these miscreants will become good members of society, they, they go to the disciples. You see how, how nasty that is and divisive? They go to the disciples and maybe they're trying to take Jesus' following away. They try to get in their ear. Satan does that. You could be doing a good thing, and Satan will try to um, use other people to take your fire away. And you know what I mean. You've been a Christian long enough, you've got that fire. You just want to see people get saved. So they have this, this discussion, and you know the goal is probably to remove the disciples from Jesus and also maybe to remove any opportunity for the downtrodden in society. If we're overcome with sin, even if we're wealthy, we're, the, we're messed up. We're messed up. Verse 30. Again, he's trying to again, pry them away. We see that. The third part, and Le- Jesus says something interesting. Now we're going to see some metaphors. So we're going to end on this note. And then we're going to look at some of the metaphors uh, as we go to the end of the chapter. Some parables. Parables are a lot of fun. Deciphering the parables. But Jesus kind of throws this one out. This is uh, part three out of three in verse 31 through 32. Jesus, the great physician, heals. But unlike the leper's healing, this was a spiritual healing. Sinners knew that they were sick. The religious leaders didn't know that they, are, they were sick. They followed a bunch of rules and regulations, and they went about their business, And they felt that it was their role to condemn people who weren't doing the right thing. They were so prideful, they didn't see that they needed the same physician as the ones that they were condemning. They were self-righteous and mean-spirited. And in Matthew 9, something interesting happens. This parallel gospel. Matthew records Jesus saying something interesting in addition. He says to the religious leaders, Jesus says, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That comes from Hosea 6.6 in the Old Testament. And what did I say in my opening? How when God sets things up, Passover, awesome. The temple, the precursor to Jesus Christ, the uh, atoning sacrifices, pilgrimages, awesome. Food, family, friends, this is great. 
people get involved and they mess things up. And it, they close the door on the joy and the happiness and it becomes cold. It becomes rote. It becomes mean-spirited. It becomes the bony finger of righteousness pointing at you. The bony finger of judgment. And that's not the way it was supposed to be. The religion became a system of rites and sacrifice but lacked mercy. So it must have been shocking for Jesus to say, in other words, God saying, yes, I set up the sacrificial system. But if you're going to sacrifice mercy for the rights, I'd rather you were mercy to, merciful to the people who were downtrodden. Amen? May we never forget that. And as a young man who was troubled, before I went to the church, the Bible teaching church, I did go to some churches and I, I felt either ignored or nobody wanted to deal with me. I was a handful. <laughs> um, but you know what? I finally went to a place where mercy was shown. And to God, don't pretend to serve him if you don't love people. And this is my problem with these uh, ministries that not P-R-A-Y, that P-R-E-Y. These ministries that are all about them getting rich and taking advantage of the, the common person and using Hey, but I'm the pastor or I'm the minister, right? You have to listen to me. And then you see all the dominoes start to fall. The sexual improprieties, the financial, um, it, it morphs into criminal behavior. And this goes on. What a stain it is for the world to see these people claim Jesus Christ. They're no better than these religious people. Maybe they do it differently, but they're preying on the innocent. They're preying on the vulnerable, P-R-E-Y. So the fresh filling was God the Son working in concert with God the Holy Spirit to reach people, to save souls outside of the failure of the religious system. We see it in the way he handled the leper. We see it in the way he called a despised, quote-unquote, tax collector. And folks, you might not be a leper, and you might not be a tax collector, but if you don't know Jesus, you need to know him. And you'd be surprised. Again, it, we don't come to God saying, I have a list of 10 things that I need from you, day one. We don't do that. But what we want is, and what God wants, is a relationship with us. You know, what happens with relationships? You start small, you get to know each other, and the relationships grow, and they, they become, they bond. And this is what Jesus spent his career doing. So I want to encourage you as you close, as we close, that if you don't know Jesus, we're going to give you an opportunity to receive Christ. You don't have to come to this church. You don't ever have to give us money. We're not into that stuff. We just want to show you the way because somebody loved us and showed us the way. You don't even have to come back to church, although we'd love to have you back. It's not about attendance. It's not about the way you dress. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about your relationship with the living God. been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossroads. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. 
You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless. Thank you.